Hi. Hi. Uh, if you haven't met me yet or you forgot my name, my name is Trevor. I am the Next Generations pastor here at Redwood Christian. We're so happy to have you with us. Uh, to start off this morning, I want you to close your eyes for a second and just imagine. Just dream with me for a little bit here. When you think about what you want for Josephine County, what do you see? And you can go ahead and shout them out if you want to, or you can keep them to yourself. No fires. No fires. Amen. Jobs. The Bible. The Bible. Hmm. Amen. Amen. When you think about the gospel and how it has changed your lives, what do you see? Is what you initially saw in your mind's eye coincide with what the gospel has done through you? Now let's tweak it a little bit here. This is the last one. Uh, close your eyes, and I want you to imagine what you want for Josephine County in 30 years. Maybe, maybe you're thinking of things like uh, you want the, the generations behind you to be less entitled. You want them to take initiative for their actions and their situations. Maybe you, you just want to see the grid break down and try and see everyone live like without phones and internet again. See all the people that are addicted to their phones be like, I need my phone, I need my phone. Maybe that's what you want. When I close my eyes and I think about what I want for Josephine County in 30 years, I want to see a county that is transformed by the power of Jesus. I want to see a county that serves the Lord and leads his church well. I want to see a county that takes care of each other and lifts one another up and that makes our temporary living place here a better place. But 30 years is a long time. This is after many of us are, are gone, either from going on to be with Jesus or God leading us somewhere else. Kurt's probably going to be a college professor and a doctor somewhere and be bald, I don't know. <laughs> but with many of us not being here anymore, who does that leave things up to? Who leads the church and who will transform this county for Jesus? You guys probably know where I'm going with this. I'm not a very subtle person. I'm very German, so I'm very to the point. So that's going to be most of what I talk about today. In 30 years, the next generation will be leading. The students we have in our care, the schools, communities, and programs that we invest in will be leading our church and community in the future. Now let's go back to this exercise that we, we envision what we wanted for our future community. We should take that vision, those values, and instill them in our students. I know that if I set up a little suggestion box in my office or at the Welcome Center, that I'd probably get quite a few little pieces of paper with ideas and visions of, of, uh, from you all in the congregation, uh, which would be helpful. We always need idea people in the, the capital C church. But if I'm honest here, probably not a whole lot of them will get done because I'm one guy and my, my team's not too big in the eyes of the county. What if, what if it wasn't just our youth pastors that were going into schools and having lunch with kids? What if it, was, it wasn't just the, the, the youth leaders that were going to, to kids' plays, their sports events? 
What if they weren't the only ones taking time out of their weeks to, to volunteer, come help out on Wednesdays or, or Sunday mornings, spend time with kids? Imagine if we had a church that was filled with people that were involved in the mission of the gospel and the church whenever they possibly could be. What if it got to a point where we had our own section at a Friday night football game? People see us, oh, there's the Redwood Christian crowd. They're always super loud for all of their kids. What if we had a 20, 30, 50 people group that go and watch a play of, of one student, take a big group photo afterwards? What if our students were historically drenched at summer camp because they got so many encouraging letters from their church family? If we look at the book of Acts, uh, everyone gave of what they had to help the church and make it uh, what it was supposed to be, uh, a place that took care of people, a place that told people about Jesus. And and 1 Peter, it tells us to use our gifts to bring people to Jesus as faithful stewards of what he's given us. James chapter 1 urges us to care for the widow, care for the orphan. Our job is to take care of the young families of Josephine County, no matter what shape they come in. That means widowed families, divorced families, unmarried couples with children, blended families, adopted families. Doesn't matter, you could fill in the blank. All families and all students have their own brokenness and need the healing power of Jesus. And it is our job as the church to show them the way to him. Mark chapter 10, if you guys want to turn there real quick. Jesus was speaking to some crowds and and some people brought their children to him. Um, We'll pick it up in uh, verse 13, if you can get there. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying hands upon them. Many of us have probably heard this story before. The, the disciples, they push people away. They're saying, no, get, get out of here. Jesus doesn't have time for you. He's an important guy. He's got things to deal with. Maybe this was to give Jesus a rest or just to have him deal with more important matters. But it's interesting how these children and their parents just approach Jesus. While all the disciples see Jesus as this unapproachable teacher, guru, miracle worker guy, the children just want to They just want to spend time with him. They just want to hug. They just walk up to see him. And children, they're they're sensitive to moods, and they they can perceive draws and repels. And and Jesus had this love for them that was genuine, and they were drawn to that. They wanted to have a part of that. And I think as adults, we complicate things. We sometimes act like the disciples and and think that, that we as an adults and leaders of the church, we got more important things to do than hang out with some kids. One of my friends from Bible college um, he said this, if, if Jesus was criticized for spending time with kids instead of dealing with serious matters, maybe we should be careful about how much time we spend on serious issues. We complicate things in our walk um, with Jesus because we, we have so many other things that, that we got to do to occupy our time. You know, our, we got this laundry list of stuff. This is all my things that I got to do that kind of keep me from Jesus. And, and we can learn a whole lot from our children and our students and how they approach God. Because if you get a child in the presence of Jesus, they'll go straight to him. Sometimes we're able to trust that judgment of a child better than that of, a, out of an adult. Uh, for instance, if you find a dog 
or I find a man and the, a dog doesn't like the man, you're probably going to be suspicious of that guy. Like, okay, what's that all about? Dog doesn't like him. Dog's like everybody. But if you find a man and a child is drawn to that person, you're like, okay, something's different here. I want to go, I want to, I want a part of that relationship too. That's how our youth and children are when it comes to Jesus. They go all in towards him when they do. So Jesus pretty much tells his disciples this. If you'll let them, the children will come to me. So don't hinder them in doing so. If we find children or youth today, even in supposedly Christian households, who don't want to come to Jesus, it's probably because we put something in their way. We should always be embracing the gospel, teaching our students and children about the love of God through our actions and our attitudes. And an even greater need for this is for students to be taught what it means to be the church. Outreach to our schools and and neighborhoods is a great need, but an even greater need is the discipleship that comes after that. Proverbs 22 tells us to train a child in the way they're going to go, and when they're older, they won't forget it. If we want our community changed in the future, we have to invest in the next generation now. Sometimes we know there's a need. Sometimes we see that there are opportunities to meet that need. But instead, we kind of take the ones we want to. We take the ones that might be a little bit easier instead of the ones that are needed. So I challenge you first not to shy away from this, not to shy away from investing in our, in our students and our children. Find, find ways to pour into them. If that means helping out on a Sunday morning with our, our children's programming, we would absolutely love that. If that means um, making a meal for a family with small children to take some stress off the parents, that's a great way to do it. Uh, watching their kids so they can go have a night out, another great way. If you want to take cookies down to the community college and pass out cookies to college students, from I just got out of college a little bit ago, trust me, they'll love that. If you want to come help out with our midweek programming for middle school and high school students, then do that. You don't have to be higher energy to help out with students or children. You just have to be a kind and caring influence and willing to mentor them in and out of youth group and Sunday mornings. In our Wednesday night teaching, we just got done with this series called Who Are You? And it talked about who God says we are and and this identity piece of uh, instead of looking at what the world tells us, that we should look to who God says we are, and, and that when we decide to live for him, um, we're, we're called God's children. He, he created us in his, in his likeness, his workmanship for good works, um, and that we're, we're called into this ministry, this royal priesthood, and that we reach other people for him. And this last week, we kind of put the cap on it, closed out the series, and, and we talked about how we're citizens of heaven, we're just a, a colony of people in a temporary living place until we get to go home with Jesus. And Paul calls the Philippians to, to this, as, and, and us as well, to live with this reality of our eternity in mind. And that means that we live and we serve Jesus and others with our entire being until we see our Savior coming to deliver us. So my encouragement to you is, is, is the same, uh, only with one slight pro- proviso here. Help the students we have in our care find opportunities to do the same, to connect with Jesus and to serve him. Because when we invest in the youth and children of Josephine County, we don't just invest in our future church, we invest in our church now. Our students and children aren't, aren't secondary heavenly citizens because of their age. They're, they're equal to everyone else in the eyes of the Lord, just as sinful as we are, yet just as deeply loved by their creator as the rest of us. Many of our students already have a great heart for the Lord uh, and service already. We have, we have students that are committed to going to Bible college. 
to, to learn better who God is. We have students who are already committed to vocational ministry, wanting to serve him within, uh, within a ministry, whether it's in the church or out of the church. Many of our, we have students who are going to get baptized. They're rededicating their lives to, to God after walking away for a little bit. We have students that are making first-time decisions for him and want to serve the church and serve Jesus. We should help them, give them as many opportunities as we can in order to groom them into our future church leaders. If we're investing in programming and in students in our children's ministries, we're taking an active role in the transformation of our future community. But even that comes with some difficulty, right? Because that means we have to either let go of the reins or we got to let them out a little bit. And we're probably not very good at that, are we? I know I'm not. But in order for the church to continue and for students to learn how to grow and lead, we have to. It's sort of like this. When I was learning to drive, I loved driving with my mom over my dad. Or, excuse me, let me switch that a second. I love driving with my dad over my mom, and I'm going to pause here and just apologize to my mom for a second. Mom, if you're listening at a later point on the website, I'm sorry, but you know it's mutual. <laughs> my mom was scared to ride with me in the car, and she would sit there, and she'd hold on to the door handle, and just, she was tense, and even at some points, she'd kind of brace on the front dashboard, and that, that was her thing. She was scared with me, and, and this is something that she would say at least once every time we were in the car together, you need to slow down because you're scaring me. <laughs> at which point, I would slow down most of the time, and I would be respectful most of the time. She didn't enjoy teaching me how to drive, and, and she won't ride with me anymore either, which is besides the point. We'll move on. But my dad, my dad, on the other hand, would sit there just as calm as could be. He just, just hands folded, just sit there, just super calm, and, and it was only when I'd done something that wasn't quite right, he would either ask a question or make a suggestion. If I was speeding, he'd just say, how fast are you going right now? Because he knew. He knew. I'd be like, I'm going 10 over. Sorry, Dad. I'll, I'll slow it down. Or he'd say, hey, next time, maybe take that curve a little, little slower. Okay, bud? Like, okay, Dad. How often do we react like my mom when our students or young adults are given responsibility? How often are we asking them to slow down because we're worried about how quickly they're moving with things? I'd advocate that we should act a little bit more like my dad did with me. I'm sure at many points he wondered what in the world I was doing, but he still gave me that opportunity to figure it out and even to fail, because that's healthy. Instead of holding this tighter leash on our students and young adults, we should let out the reins just a little bit and give them a role, help them understand what it means to be a leader, and then let them lead. We need a culture of, of acceptance and mentorship, and that doesn't mean that we just brush off any wrongdoing that our students have, but that we walk through their mistakes with them, through their mishaps and through their growth as they figure out how to lead others and follow Jesus. One of the big reasons um, that a lot of millennials, that's my age group, a lot of millennials aren't in the church is because they didn't receive mentorship or a role in the church. And as a general whole, most, most churches don't give students and children and young adults that leadership, well, because they need more experience, they, they need more life under their belt, maybe learn more about leadership, and all those are very valid reasons, I agree, uh, I'm with you there. But the issue is kind of that no one came al comes alongside them, no one mentors them, and helps them figure out these things as they try to do those things. 
as they try to figure out more of what life's about, more of what leadership's about. And because of that, and maybe a lack of inclusion as well, they end up leaving the church at some point. Discipleship needs to become more of a priority if we're going to transform our community. What needs to happen for us as adults is to become like a kid again. We've got to return to that humble, simple trust in what God can do through us and through our kids. We need, to, we need to receive that kingdom of God as a child, relinquishing that control to him and to others, and trusting that God can do some great things through our future generations. We need to be willing to go and serve wherever he wants us to be, wherever is needed. And there's a couple guys that were having some trouble um, reaching into tough cultures like this and, and, and walking alongside them in these ways. And, and for the sake of time and for my story here, we'll We'll call one way the wrong way and one way the right way. The first guy, his name was Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet of the Lord, and he'd been given this task of bringing the word of the Lord to Nineveh. Now, to be frank, Nineveh was the worst. Uh, it was a terrible place. You look up, like, worst locations to go on a vacation in Bible times, Nineveh's at the top of the list. They had these awful people there that were just involved in all sorts of debauchery, and they were just a difficult people group to mentor to. We know a little bit of that story. Jonah, instead of doing what God's called him to do, goes the opposite direction on a boat. He tries to run away from God. Yeah, I know, right? Terrible decision. But he eventually runs into this huge storm, comes to the conclusion that the storm is because of him and his disobedience to God. So he has the crew throw him overboard. And when he's thrown overboard, he gets swallowed by this fish, and God gives him some time in the fish to think about what he's done. And then after a few days, the fish spits him out onto land, and then God presents this request to him again. Hey, you should go to Nineveh and tell them about the Lord. And he says, okay, and then he goes. This is the first way, this is kind of the, the wrong way to do it, where he just doesn't want to go to these people. And the second way here is with this guy named Paul. And Paul talked to this group called the, the Galatians, and they were having some trouble reaching out and bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, and if you're unfamiliar with the term, the Jew, they were the, the promised child of God according to this Old Testament covenant, and, and they, were, they were just following God throughout pretty much their entire history, more or less. They kind of went in and out of it. But uh, the Gentile was anyone, any people group that wasn't Jewish. And all throughout history, there's always been beef between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul, he was really putting his foot down about that issue. He said, Jesus said it's done. So let's be done with it, okay? You need to stop. Uh, and in, in chapter 3 of, of Galatians, he says this in verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, no male or female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's approaching this cross-generational and cultural barrier exactly how Jesus would and exactly how we should. I get it that, that the millennials and, and those behind them are difficult to minister to. The, the millennials are one of the they are the most unchurched generation of any prior to it. And that's hard to combat. I get that. I'm there with you. It's a daunting task to talk to young adults about Jesus and explain church and our faith to them. It's just a different culture. They got their, their smartphones and their, their tight pants with the holes in them and stuff. And, and, and they can be a little flaky and they keep getting married later and later. And, and, and they listen to these weird like techno rapper guys. And is that even music? Like, but I'll tell you what. When millennials and the generations behind them believe in something, they're all in. 
they're most likely um, to give funds to a cause they believe in out of all of the generations. They're most likely to give large quantities of their time and effort to serve that cause and make the world a better place. And if they're doing this as, as predominantly secular and without any sort of basis of faith, imagine what the church could do with them teamed up with the Holy Spirit. The world would change. Josephine County would change. But where, where, where do we start with that? We start by investing in families. We start by investing in children. We start by investing in students because when we invest in our families, they invest in their children. And when we invest in students, they invest in their friends and in their schools. When we invest in young adults, they invest in their social circles, their workplaces, their colleges, and then they turn around and they invest in the church. This all comes with this Philippians 2 Christ-like humility and service of the kingdom and spreading the gospel to the nations because when Jesus said to the nations, he also meant to the next generation. So I'd like to introduce you to this verse, Galatians 3.28 again, from the back off in our paraphrase, setting shelves, 2000 and never. <laughs> it goes like this. There's neither the greatest generation or Gen Z, baby boomer or Gen Y, Gen X or millennial, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I know there's a lot of gen this and gen that, but the thought remains the same here. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what generation you come from, how old you are. We as the church need to be united. While the rest of the world is divided into its social classes and generations and ethnicities, we as the church should be the champions for unity. So when we look at Josephine County in 30 years, we shouldn't see division. We shouldn't see a tough community. We shouldn't see animosity between generations. We as the church should see our community and county unified under the power of Jesus. Where it doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter how much money you make, how old you are, that we are unified under the commonality of our faith in God. Where it doesn't matter if you live in Merlin or Cave Junction or Selma or, or Grants Pass or Murphy or wherever, we are unified. But we are encouraging one another, bearing with one another, pushing each other closer and closer to Jesus. That we are a community transformed by the power of Jesus and are working to bring that power to those that don't know him yet. Where we make a lasting gospel impact on our schools. Where we cherish our young families and their children, giving them the support that they need. Where we mentor our, our young adults, training them how to lead and how to grow with God. That change starts today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the past generations that have invested in us and that have pushed us towards you, God. I pray that we wouldn't shy away from the work that you have given us in teaching our young adults, our children, and our youth about who you are and how to follow you and how to lead your church well, God. We love you so much. In your name, amen.